the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. After the mess up, after the disaster, the Holy Spirit of God described David as a man after God's heart. What does God want from you? He wants your heart. And no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you've not gone too far. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. If you were to Google or look up the phrase double entendre, you would find that it means that something has more than one meaning, a double meaning, whether it's a word or a phrase. And the title of today's message is a double entendre. It, it fits that description because the title I want you to think about is, is this question, how far is too far? We've been talking about relationships So whether you're a a parent or a grandparent, whether you're a teenager or a young adult, this is relevant in your life. We are created for relationships. We live in a world in which we interact with other people in relationships. We often pursue that ultimate human relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. And so it's important that we regularly and periodically look into God's word to see how he guides and directs us about relationships. In this series, we've looked at several relationships. We've called this love stories because we're looking at relationships from Scripture. Most recently, we looked at Ruth and Boaz, and we saw that a relationship really must begin with an intentional commitment. Because before Ruth, this widow was prepared to be married to what would become the love of her life and put her in the lineage of Jesus she had to understand commitment. She had to know what it meant to turn to her mother-in-law and say, don't urge me to leave you or to turn from following after you. Where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. I mean, that's commitment. Death till death do we part. And that kind of fashioned her with character and with confidence and then ultimately have that covenant relationship with a man named Boaz. Then we looked at the lives of Abraham and Sarah a couple weeks ago, and man, they were messed up, weren't they? I mean, they could have been on the Jerry Springer show. I mean, again, just a few words define their relationship, but words like uh, fear. And you probably know that fear is not a good thing in a relationship. If you're driven in a relationship by fear, it's going to end up in, in a bad way. Abraham was so afraid of what other people would think or do to him that he actually told on two different occasions other men that his wife was his sister. And those other men pursued a relationship with her. I mean, how, how messed up is that? And then we see in another occasion how flesh just got into their relationship. And, and flesh just speaks to that sinful 
sinfulness within us as, as men or women. And, and we talked about how uh, Sarah wanted to have a baby more than anything, but she, had, she had, had not been able to conceive. And so she concocted this fleshly, this humanly idea. Hey, hey Abraham, why don't, you, why don't you have a baby with my maid? I'm sure that will go over well. It was a great idea until it was a bad idea. <laughs> and so uh, that happened. Abraham was with the maid and she conceived and a baby was born and, and Sarah became very jealous. And so in that story, we saw that ultimately the, the hope for a relationship is not fear or flesh, it's faith. And that after a long, long life, God gave them faith and actually answered their prayers. He gave them the, the desires of their heart. And the reason I want to spend a minute there before we get started today is because some of you need to hear that. You're at a relational crossroads where you're, you're being tempted either to give up or to go forward in a direction that you know is not honoring to God. And I'm begging you in faith just to trust him because he is a God who provides. Yeah. Now... We began with Adam and Eve. I figured that was a pretty good place to start since that's the first people, right? <laughs> and the first marriage, the first family. But we learned some things there that really are important for every relationship. We, we discovered the significance of identity, that if you don't know who you are, if you're not clear in your identity, you're not prepared to be in a relationship with another person. And as a pastor for almost 30 years, I would just tell you, most of the relationship mess that takes place happens because one or more of the people in the relationship were really insecure in their identity, that they were created in the image of God, that they bore the image of Christ in their lives. And then we talked about authority, and, and I've just reminded you again and again that in, in relationships, there is authority, and for us, the Bible is our authority, and it's the, the, the guideline and the guardrails for our life, and man, I would just challenge you, parents and grandparents and, and young adults and teenagers and children, understand this. God has given you his word to be an authority, to, to be a guideline and a guardrail in your life. Don't be afraid to stand for what his authority has already, has already said. Most of our challenges when it comes to relational dysfunction take place because we've stepped outside of the bounds of his authority. But then we said, you still got to be compatible and look for that right person. You still got to be intentional. We've, we've been learning so much about relationships. And today we're going we're gonna to dive in a little deeper because we're going to look at a relationship that is not the kind of love story that you would imagine. In fact, it, it didn't be, begin very well. It began in a, a pretty bad way. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. But before we get into that story, I, I want to share just a couple of other things as a way of disclaimer. First of all, um, and one of the reasons I think, and I'm, I'm saying this as a as a church baby, I, I grew up in a pastor's home and church. All my life, you've heard me say I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday. I mean, I, I've been in church forever. And one of the challenges in church is that we try to sugarcoat things and, and we don't even tell the truth about things that Scripture speaks very clearly on. And so my first disclaimer is just to tell you that I'm going to speak very straightforward about some things in this story. And so if, if you're afraid you, you'll be offended or, or you have children that 
you don't want to hear this message, just be forewarned. Secondly, I would say to you that, um, man, anytime I talk about brokenness in Scripture, which is what this story is all about, I'm very much aware of my own brokenness. And, and I, I just need you to know that though I'm a pastor and, and though our stage is a little elevated, man, I'm on your level And though I'm called by God, man, I'm a sinner that's a trophy of God's grace. And and I wouldn't be here were it not for what God has brought me through. And and so I need you to understand that. And finally, I would just say, man, as a communicator, my favorite way to teach God's word is just to open and just go kind of through verse by verse. It's called expositional teaching. and, And that's easier for me. I enjoy that. This is more of a topical message because we're, we're concluding this series and we need to deal with some topics that we've not addressed. And, and so just be aware of that. I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit to try to keep you engaged. It's going to be heavy at some moments. It's going to be lighter in some other moments. But I pray that God uses this to speak in our lives. Let me begin with a question. What do you think God ultimately wants from you? And the reason this is important, because if you are going to have a relationship with another person, you first better understand what's going on with me. Most of the problems that I see in people's relationships deal with the fact that they're a big part of the problem (laughs) and and they're not willing to deal with themselves. So what does God want from you? I I think that's outlined in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So what does God want from you? What does he want from you? He wants your heart. He wants all of you. So when we talk about a relationship, we talk about love, we say it's matters of the heart. Well, the most important thing about your heart, all of you, is that all of you is given to all of God. That's what he wants. That's why when we talk about relationships in a marriage, we say when the husband is pursuing that relationship with Christ and the wife is pursuing that relationship with Christ, ultimately they both draw closer to God and they draw closer to one another. If they're not pursuing that, not only do they miss out on that intimacy with God, they probably are not going to have that relationship with one another that they should have. Now, because God wants your heart, When the children of God, the people of Israel, when they wanted a leader, God made it clear, you need a leader who has the right heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14, he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people. So when God is looking at you, he wants you to give him your heart. When he's looking for people to make a difference in this world, he's looking for people whose heart is right. And so the people wanted a king. God gave them King Saul. His heart seemed to be right until it wasn't. He walked away from God. And so God orchestrated the anointing of a new king. And something interesting takes place in 1 Samuel 16. This is the first time we're introduced to King David. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. 
You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. David was looked at as a man from the beginning, as a man who had a heart for God. That's important. We know what God wants. I would ask you, where are you? Does God have your heart today? Have you yielded control of of that deepest part of you to all that he is? Well, that's the first time we see David. Let me introduce you to the first time we see Bathsheba, because this is significant. 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one, this is a servant, said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of of Uriah the Hittite. The first time we hear about the name Bathsheba, you know what we hear? Bathsheba is another man's wife. Now this was interesting because as you look throughout scripture, you usually don't see a woman described by her husband's name. You you see a woman often described by her father's name, the lineage she came from, but in this case, this servant was so mindful of the danger with which David was about to get into. In other words, the fire that he was playing with, and he was about to get burnt, that this servant said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's another man's wife. That's the context for this relationship. David has now been king for a number of years. He's experiencing great success. And I would just say to you that in your life, right where you are, when things are going well, beware. (laughs) There is an enemy. He's roaming to and fro. He's seeking whom he may devour. And it's in seasons like those that he will show up and tempt you. And he will begin to distract you or even destroy you. So as we look in 2 Samuel 11, it only takes five verses to show us how quickly things turn bad in David's life. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, is, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. What a story. The whole trajectory of David's existence would change on this incident. 
what happens after this. David realizes he's in hot water. He's blown it. Have you ever had those moments? You've gone too far. You've done something you shouldn't have done. Now what? What does he do? He begins to try to cover it up. So he calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He knew who he was because Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was in David's inner circle. He was a close friend. And I would just tell you after, again, almost three decades of ministry, most of the time, inappropriate relationships take place among people that are in close contact with one another. Unfortunately, often close friendships. So David seeks Uriah and he he has a plan. He tells Uriah, hey, I, uh, <laughs> I think you are doing such a good job. You need to go just enjoy some time with your wife. I need to spell this out with you. David was bringing Uriah back so that Uriah would have sexual relationship with his own wife so that when he found out she was having a baby, he would think it was his. But listen to the character of this guy. David sends him to go be with his wife. David goes to bed. When he wakes up the next day, guess what? Uriah has stayed at the palace. And he says to the king, hey, I couldn't go be with my wife when none of the other soldiers could go be with their wives. That would be awful. So David, man, he has another plan. And his other plan is to get Uriah so drunk that Uriah won't have a choice. And well, that fails too. So Uriah goes back to battle. And then David only has one more plan, and that's to kill Uriah. You see the slippery slope of sinfulness? You see what happens when we try to cover one sin with another? Someone has said, if you find yourself in a hole, that's time to stop digging. David didn't understand that, so he called his general. He said, put Uriah on the front line. Can you imagine that conversation? The general knew this was one of his friends. What do you mean put him on the front line? If we put him on the front line, he'll get killed. David said, put him on the front line. And they put him on the front line. And Uriah was killed. Word gets back to Bathsheba, and she begins to mourn the loss of her husband. And then we see this in verse 27. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This man that God had chosen because of his heart had made a decision that displeased the Lord. I want to give you just a a few words that speak to what we need to be aware of from this love story. And the first word is danger. In every relationship in your life, but particularly in that marriage relationship, you must learn to be aware of the warning signs, the danger signs that keep you from going down a path you should never go down. In this particular setting, we see that David had taken some steps that set himself up for disaster. Number one, he was idle. Did you hear that as I read through the verses? When all the other soldiers were at war, David 
was back home at the palace. While they were on the battlefield, he was in the bedroom. He wasn't doing what he should have been doing. I look back at over 50 years of life and my worst decisions have taken place when I was somewhere I never should have been doing something I never should have done. And that's true of you too. You put yourself in a situation you shouldn't be in with more time on your hands than you have. And you're opening yourself for disaster. Someone has said idleness is not just the absence of activity, but it's activity with no purpose. He wasn't just idle, but he was also isolated. He was by himself. There were not others around him to keep him accountable. The Puritan Samuel Johnson says, if you're idle, you better not be solitary. And if you're solitary, if you're alone, you had better not be idle. David didn't care. He saw himself above accountability. Do you have accountability in your life? Is anybody asking you the the tough questions? Several years ago, a study was done of pastors who had committed sexual immorality. About 200 pastors in this particular study, and it was found all of them had the same four things in common. Two of these things we've just mentioned in David's life. The others were there too, I'm sure. First, all of these pastors said that they had grown cold in their relationship with God. They were not spending regular time in God's word and devotion. They weren't in the Bible and they weren't praying. Secondly, every one of these pastors said they had put themselves in a situation they should have never been in. They allowed themselves to be alone with a woman and maybe in an inappropriate counseling setting or, or maybe riding in a car or maybe in a mill. Thirdly, They had no one asking them the tough questions. There was no accountability in their life. And then finally, every one of them said, well, that could never happen to me. But it did. David was in that category. He was idle. He was isolated. And he let his imagination go wild. Now, I want you to understand the setting here. David was at the highest point in the city. The palace looked over the whole city. So David would not have just seen where Bathsheba was bathing. He could have seen everything in the city. And he sees this woman, frankly, in what is most likely a ceremonial bath. Again, not to be crude, but just to be clear, The Bible says that this was a time of cleansing from her, of ceremonial cleansing, because her body was unclean as it would be once a month. It's in that setting that David loses control of his thoughts. Jesus said this in Matthew 26. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. See, this is that part where some of us say, well, bless God, I'll tell you what, that's one thing I would never do. Yeah, don't ever say that. Don't ever tee yourself up that way to fall into that hole. Given the right circumstance, given the right situation, given the right bad day or the argument in your marriage, each and every one of us is capable of everything out there. You better believe it. Spirit might be willing, but our flesh, it's weak. That's why Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take every thought captive 
Ask God to control your thought life. But David didn't do that. His imagination went wild. He began to say, that's what I want. And then he initiated. He acted on his temptation. And I want to be clear. This is where things went awry. All of us are tempted, right? Is temptation a sin? It's not. Not according to Scripture. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in James 1.14. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So these desires within me, legitimate desires, I'm tempted to meet them in illegitimate ways. Then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. So when I act on that desire, then I begin to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So David makes a decision in the heat of the moment. And in the heat of the moment, that one decision changes the trajectory of his life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.